You're listening to When Humanitarians Kill, which is a podcast investigation into Australia's worst public health failing. I'm talking about how tens of thousands of Australians became infected and affected by HIV and hepatitis C contaminated blood transfusions and tainted blood treatments. G'day, everybody. This is your host, Charles McKenzie, and I've had a bit of a a hiatus uh, from this series, which is really uh, about interviewing uh, people who received tainted blood transfusions or tainted blood products. But today is a special episode, and um, I'm recording this on the Friday the 29th of uh, December 2023, and uh, not long to go now until uh, it becomes 2024, which is a, a very, very big year for the history of infected blood in Australia, and I'll tell you why. 2024 is uh, 30 years since I, Charles McKenzie, your host, uh, walked into a lawyer's office and basically was seeking uh, information about you know how I could prepare to become a campaigner and take on a cover-up like this. Uh, the infected blood scandal was global. Um, the majority of the, the damage was done when blood supplies around the world were tainted by things like HIV in the 1980s. But uh, since the inception of blood supplies, you know, in the 20th century, there had always been the problem of this virus called hepatitis C, which is deadly and, of course, is a, a leading requirement of, of liver transplantation today because it's, it, it destroys livers, okay, if given the chance. And, of course, this virus is asymptomatic, so many of the people who got it didn't necessarily uh, come down with symptoms straight away. They could go months or years without any, but that didn't mean to say that their livers weren't being damaged. Now, this is the the, the, the story of tainted blood around the world, that, that governments uh, sort of drag their heels on helping victims because governments don't like <laughs> using taxpayer money uh, for what it's meant for generally, okay? They'd like to keep it for their own little uh, plans. But uh, the law has other demands, and the demands are if you harm people and if you do so intentionally, there must be accountability and there must be help. So that basically explains why I was so determined 30 years ago, because I'd identified that this was a major public health scandal, okay? Thousands of Australians were affected. It needed a response, and yet there wasn't one. Well, I was just an individual. I'd been a a tainted blood victim as a child. And if you listen to my other podcast, uh, Join High Adventure, which is available on major podcast platforms, okay, uh, you can hear all about how I received tainted blood. But... There are organisations that were publicly funded in Australia that would normally have advocated for victims of what was an appalling public health atrocity. You had the Haemophilia Foundation Australia. Now, this is a publicly funded not-for-profit that is supposed to champion uh, the rights of people with this bleeding disorder, haemophilia. And in previous episodes of this podcast, When Humanitarians Kill, and you can go back, you'll see that I interviewed a, a haemophiliac, or formerly it was a haemophiliac. His actual haemophilia was cured by a liver transplant. Three liver transplants he needed to survive the hepatitis C that he received through a blood product as a child. And he went on, and this is why his story is so incredible, and I encourage you to revisit those episodes, he went on to become a world champion darts player, the only Australian to do so. His name is Tony David, okay? So Tony explained to us what haemophilia was, okay, in previous episodes, and it is a bleeding disorder. And 
you know, 1,750 Australians with this bleeding disorder, haemophilia, ended up getting HIV, hepatitis C, or both. And that's a terrible outcome when you consider that in Australia before the 2000s, we only had something like 2,500 haemophiliacs, okay, this being a rare disorder. As rare as it is, though, it actually costs the Australian taxpayer and has cost the Australian taxpayer billions of dollars to provide these treatments, okay, which is something we we need to do. Uh, In the past, haemophiliacs could only rely on blood-based treatments to address their haemophilia. Now, uh, the story is different. They have uh, artificial-based products or, shall we say, recombinant-based products. But when they only had the choice of blood-based, the problem was, before the 2000s, and in particular in Australia, the treatments for haemophiliacs were invariably tainted. Okay, and we even have people, uh, this is outrageous. I mean, on a world scale, this is like unheard of. We had Australia's blood products manufacturer, CSL, collecting blood from the collectors of blood in Australia, the Australian Red Cross Blood Service, now known as Australian Red Cross Lifeblood. And they were making these blood products, right? And right into the 1990s, as Tony David and I identified in these previous interviews, okay, on this show, uh, they were sending out um, blood products that hadn't been sterilised or treated against this hepatitis C virus in the 1990s. It's incredible. It's actually uh, corporate manslaughter. And Tony and I actually had a legal opinion on that where a lawyer told us this this amounts to corporate manslaughter. And yet there's no help for survivors. We've got probably less than 100 survivors in our group at Infected Blood Australia. These are haemophiliacs, but we've got many, many more of their relatives and parents who lost children, okay, to these tainted blood treatments. 1,400 Australians were killed by these tainted haemophilia treatments. And, of course, I'm not even talking about the many tens of thousands of people who received tainted blood transfusions from the Australian Red Cross. But CSL, they were the ones responsible, okay, for making these haemophilia treatments. Well, why is it that this is big news in places like the UK, the the mistreatment of of, of haemophiliacs and, and, shall I say, the murder of haemophiliacs when they were knowingly... Uh, given these tainted blood products. The same thing happened here. So why is it that Australia's uh, public bodies, the charities for haemophiliacs, have never spoken up? Well, this month, on Wednesday the 6th of December, uh, Sharon Karras, who is the Executive Director of the Haemophilia Foundation Australia, announced her retirement. Now, I actually predicted this. At the moment that I became, uh, it was announced I became witness to the UK's infected blood inquiry on behalf of Australia, okay, and also don't forget that many haemophiliacs had given me their evidence, which I included in my statement to the infected blood inquiry, which is published online, statement of Charles McKenzie, infected blood inquiry. You can read what they had to say about this haemophilia foundation. They were begging for years, pleading, in some cases pleading for the lives of loved ones who were dying and Sharon Karras can be seen in the statement more or less saying, oh, well, it's, you know, the wheels of justice take a long time type thing, and I'm afraid we, we won't be able to help you. That's basically what she said. Meanwhile, Sharon Karras was on the most generous generous salary for 22 years. Let's have a look at what this, uh, we'll leave a link to this, Postcards for Sharon from the website of Haemophilia Foundation Australia. And this is... Uh, basically commemorating the 22 years of service. It says, after 22 years of service, on the 1st of November, we said farewell to our Executive Director, Sharon Karras. Sharon took the role in 2001. She has touched many of us. 
being instrumental in welcoming, informing and educating and advocating for the Australian bleeding disorders community. And it says here, Sharon, we will miss you so much, but we feel so blessed to have had your support these past two decades. Thank you. And then it says, leave a message for Sharon. Well, I will be leaving a message for Sharon and I'll be reminding her that she never once throughout her tenure did the lawful thing that you would do as someone on public money. And that is, if you are presiding over an organisation with no more than 2,500 haemophiliacs available in the country, not all of them uh, used uh, blood treatments, and you've had 1,750 of that number infected with HIV and AIDS, and you've had 1,400 of those people killed, and you don't call for a legal investigation? You know, legal investigations aren't always about finding fault. Very often, they're just about finding about what happened. If there was a train crash and 100 people were killed or injured, there'd always be a legal investigation. There are always legal investigations when you have Australians harmed in any number. So why wasn't there in this case? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the courts and the media, they have to know about these things and they can't act if they don't know about them. Well, public money is used to give us representatives who know about these things. Sharon Karras knew about it more than anyone at all, and yet she never called for a legal inquiry. And I'll tell you why that is. I shared videos on Infected Blood Australia's social networks to talk about the real role of Sharon Karras. You see, Sharon Karras was put there to stop anyone finding out about the haemophilia atrocity. She was there to basically, I'd been campaigning for 30 years and whenever I'd do anything or get any journalist interested, Sharon's role, as I've explained in my videos, was basically to pour cold water on it. So this wasn't an issue. And it's no surprise, of course, because the Haemophilia Foundation are sponsored by CSL, the very people that have committed genocide here in Australia. 1,400 haemophiliacs murdered by this organisation. And Sharon Karras has had 22 years of the most generous salary to be a spoiler, okay, to be a a cover-up merchant and to make sure that the media never get any incentive that there should be any investigation and to poo-poo claims by people like me. And, you know, I've been at this for 30 years and I single-handedly forced a Senate inquiry, which turned out to be a whitewash, but it was the hardest thing I'd ever done because I knew I was up against corrupt forces like the Haemophilia Foundation Australia and Sharon Karras, who did nothing to lobby for that inquiry, and they did nothing to make the recommendations for that inquiry possible. Um, I actually did. It was, it was my submission that you can see online where I basically went into detail of what members of my group at that time had told me, haemophiliacs, blood transfusion victims and their, their relations, what they wanted. Okay, obviously they wanted compensation, but in my submission to the 2002, sorry, 2004 Senate inquiry into hepatitis and the Australian blood supply, this is what, after interviewing members of our group, we came up with and what we put in our recommendations for our Senate submission. Okay, this is published online. And it says, we want financial assistance and the establishment of a compensation tribunal for recipients of hepatitis C contaminated blood or blood products where each claim is heard and and assessed individually. Health and home care assistance, a health care package which covers GP visits, all prescribed medication and surgical aids, dental, oral, optical, physiotherapy and chiropractic treatments and alternative treatments, i.e. reflexology, aromatherapy, massage. 
the establishment of a special blood transfused hepatitis medical counselling welfare team specially trained in the issues and sensitivities that surround the tainted blood tragedy, home nursing service and home help service, priority listing for liver transplantation, travel assistance to medical appointments. Okay, well, those were the recommendations that I made to the 2004 Senate inquiry. And if you look at their report, which is online, the, the rec- uh, I'll see if I can put a link to that as well in the show notes. Their report basically copied and pasted my recommendations. And they were unanimously agreed, except for the part about financial assistance. Okay? They didn't agree with that because they're, they're corrupt, right? And the, the senators at that time had been lobbied by CSL. This is the, the blood products manufacturer who murder children and commit genocide and make sure that people like Sharon Karras, who run the Haemophilia Foundation Australia, of which they sponsor, don't ever say that uh, anyone should investigate what happened here, murder of children. Hundreds of children knowingly injected with HIV and hepatitis C, and we can't have an investigation in Australia. How outrageous. The Hepatitis C Australia, Hepatitis Australia, that was a publicly funded body. They did absolutely nothing to force that 2004 Senate inquiry. They told us they wouldn't get in our way if we if we force one. Well, of course, we did that. I did it single-handedly, spent ages making that happen, bent over backwards, okay? It was, it was almost impossible. And, of course, when I force it, which is all about trying to give haemophiliacs a chance to match what happened to haemophiliacs over in the UK the year before, that they were given financial assistance and trying to get help for people who received tainted blood transfusions. And what do you know? The Hepatitis Australia and Hepatitis C New South Wales turned up at the Senate inquiry, didn't meet the terms of recommendation, okay, uh, the terms of reference, said that they couldn't because they didn't have the resources, and then lobbied against the inquiry helping haemophiliacs. You can have a look for yourself. This was a publicly funded body. They were funded to the tune of millions and millions of dollars, and the constitution that, that basically garnered that money was that they would represent the best interests of all people with hepatitis C, this deadly virus. Well, my question is, who is more principally infected with hepatitis C than haemophiliacs? No group could lay claim to be more compromised by hep C than haemophiliacs. And yet the the publicly funded bodies attacked them vilified them, made them out as being discriminatory, uh, a haemophiliac, uh, you know, who who uh, didn't even need these things to survive in very, very often cases, were given these blood treatments, they listened to their doctors, they listened to CSL, they listened to the government, they're given a devastating virus, and then when they try and get help or counselling or, or money to help put food on the table, they're told they're discriminatory because those public bodies like Hepatitis C Australia say, oh, well, we don't offer, we don't offer any assistance, like we don't offer financial assistance to people who are, you know, in alleyways, uh, uh, injecting and, and, and sharing needles. I mean, if we if we help, say, an accountant that ha- with a family or, or or someone who is going to work and was just given these haemophilia treatments because they wanted to continue to feed their family, if we give them compensation, it'll be discrimination against people who inject ice or heroin or have a good time, drink loads of alcohol and then share needles one night when they're drunk. And that was their philosophy. And so they basically used public money, okay, to attack us, all right, and you have these recommendations that the Senate, even though it was a cover-up, those corrupt senators knew they had to offer something. So they unanimously agreed to implement all of my recommendations. Okay, that I've just read out the things about home care, that the home nursing for people who are terribly ill, tainted blood. That would have been such a break for parents who'd had to give up their their careers to nurse children who'd been given these tainted blood products. But none of it happened. 
None of it happened. Here we are 20 years later, it's 20 years next year since I forced that inquiry, and none of the recommendations have been implemented, none of them. And how much is that is because of Sharon Karras from the Haemophilia Foundation Australia. How much of that is her not doing her job and demanding that those things be implemented for haemophiliacs, okay? What a scenario, what corruption. So Sharon Karras has retired. Okay, she's gone. I predicted she would as soon as I became a witness to the infected blood inquiry in the UK. It is going to make its decision in March 2024 about what to do with our Australian evidence, okay? And um, I sincerely hope that it finds uh, what we need it to find, and that is that we must have a legal investigation into uh, Australia's worst treatment scandal. We must have an investigation into, into tainted blood, and we must have people helped immediately. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a special uh, episode of When Humanitarians uh, Kill, the podcast. And I've got to tell you something, uh, next year, this is the final year of me as a campaigner on this issue, uh, I don't put out as many podcasts as I like because my health is actually failing now and uh, it's okay. I'm not too scared. I I, I am just determined. I, I really am determined that we can get some answers as to what went so wrong here with our blood supply. And I'm hoping very much that we get some of those answers in 2024, the 30th year of my campaigning. Okay, in March 2024, Sir Brian Langstaff, who's the, the chair of the UK Infected Blood Inquiry and a former High Court judge, is set to give... Uh, his ruling on my Australian evidence about what to do with the abandoned Australian victims of the infected blood scandal. And I'll just say this, if you look up the infected blood inquiry, you'll see that their haemophilia society in the UK came in for major criticism. And in fact, so much so, it was even among the terms of reference. And, you know, they came in for major criticism and they've had a major overhaul, but even they called for a legal investigation into the haemophilia infections but that never happened here in Australia, and I reckon that's got a lot to do with people like Sharon Karras. And having been a campaigner the entire time that she's been in office and being paid by the taxpayer to cover up, basically, and commit crimes, which you're not allowed to do on public money, I, um, I came to realise that what we're up against here, I don't know if you've seen the horror movie The Wicker Man, it had that wonderful actor, Edward Woodward. Uh, it was made, I think, in 1970 as a horror film about a, a policeman who's uh, lured to an island off Scotland where they practice some uh, pretty weird uh, religious, uh, I don't know, uh, ceremonies, which uh, he finds out to his horror include uh, sacrifice. And he's the sacrifice and everyone in this island is in on it. Well, I've got to tell you something. It's felt like the Wicker Man. <laughs> I, I, I hope no one's going to sacrifice me. I suppose the fact that they sacrificed 30 years of my life, they wasted my life because, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, everybody has been in on it and none more so than the Haemophilia Foundation Australia and Sharon Karras. So what will happen with the conclusion of the Infected Blood Inquiry in uh, 2024? What will happen? Will Sir Brian Langstaff uh, call for a legal investigation down here in Australia in response to my evidence? We'll find out all of that in 2024. Now, look, uh, as I don't make as many of these shows as, as I could, might because of my health, I am now kept alive by a very expensive form of uh, uh, medicinal cannabis. It's, a, it's called a Rick Simpson oil. It's a high-strength THC oil. It costs me about $150 a day to stay alive. I have $200 to my name, and I've got to spend another $500 on this medicine in two days' time. Any donations at all you can, you can give me help 
keep me alive and fighting, okay, and, and, and hopefully I'll stay alive to hear what this British chair has to say about the infected blood scandal in Australia. But any donations you can make to the link in the, the show links uh, to my GoFundMe, anything at all, trust me, it drives me that bit further and I deeply appreciate it. So thank you very much, everybody. Um, you'll also see a link to the uh, petition for a raw commission into the infected blood scandal in Australia. This is the one that Sharon Karras and the Haemophilia Foundation never, ever called for, but it's one that I have for many decades and I hope that you can support it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of When Humanitarians Kill. <laughs>